Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 and following. We're going to look at the life of Philip as he's called to follow the Lord. To follow the Lord. We talk about received ministry a lot here. We talk about that versus achieved ministry. Achieved ministry is what we think we're supposed to do. We may even have a biblical mandate for it. But we're doing it out of our own energy, our own strength, out of our own thinking. We see a need. Perhaps it's a legitimate need. We recognize that there's some problems and and maybe they're legitimate problems But rather than going to the Lord and conferring with him, finding out what he would have us to be about, walking with him and what he chooses to do, trusting him with not only the plan but the timing of it, we tend to jump ahead and then ask God to bless our efforts. Receive ministry is not passive. Some people have tried to make it into a passive thing, and I I find received ministry far more actively difficult because it is a constant deferring to the leadership of the Lord. It is a constant decision to say, Lord, you take the lead. You take the initiative. We want to follow you. I I think Philip and the life of Philip is is a clear example of that. This story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is a really good picture of received ministry versus achieved ministry. Achieved ministry, we come up with the ideas, we have those ideas, we, we put the plan forward, and I'm not saying that we don't plan, I'm just saying we do this out of a reaction rather than a receiving from the Lord of his plans. And when you look at the life of Philip, I think you can look at this story and you can recognize that there is no way that Philip would have ever come up with this idea on his own. And usually that's a mark of received ministry. It's very creative. It's very unique. It's clearly from the Lord. And then there's joy in it. There's a peace in it. There's a, there's a following God and an expression of the Lord in the midst of it. There's also a divine spark through it. I want to show you three things this morning. A specific command, a special connection, and a salvation message. Believers must submit fully to the leadership of the Lord, carefully listening and obediently following him. Doesn't that seem natural? Isn't that kind of there? I mean, don't we get that? I think mentally we get that. I think we would recognize that. And we would say, amen, that's absolutely true. Of course, we as believers need to submit to the leadership of the Lord. And of course, we need to carefully be listening and obediently following him. But somehow, there, there gets to be a disconnect between what we say we believe and our activity. And we see this everywhere. I see it in my own life. I know the pressures. I know the struggles in my own life. I know my own flesh well. There seems to always be this desire in order to move ahead rather than to die to self. And I think, I think in the midst of this, don't miss this. There's a relationship here with the Lord. He will take care of the results. He will raise up 
the work. And when it's in his time, when it's his plan, he'll give the strength and the energy in order to walk in what it is that he has called either us individually to and or corporately. I think it's absolutely essential. Fascinating guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41 through 43. Just turn there real quickly with me because there's such a beautiful picture in this. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verses 41 through 43. Solomon has built the temple, and this is part of his prayer of dedication of the temple. And he talks about foreigners, which obviously the Ethiopian is a foreigner. 1 Kings 8, verses 41 through 43. He says, also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel. Solomon's praying to the Lord. When he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, this temple, this place of worship, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, to fear you, as do your people Israel." And that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Beautiful prayer? Even when the foreigner comes to Jerusalem in order to worship at this temple. Lord, minister to them. Bless them. May they know your name. So that all the peoples of the earth will know you. That's amazing. This is the first time that we see from Jerusalem to Judea Judea to Samaria, now to the uttermost. This is the first foreshadowing of the ministry of the gospel into the uttermost. Ethiopia, clearly in Africa, not a part of uh, the first three regions, if you will, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We've seen Philip in a revival, if you will, in Samaria, which is that third tier. And now he's called to go on a road to nowhere. And he's not told why and he's not told what until he gets to where he can see the Ethiopian. Amazing. I think it's incredible when you begin to think of the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, the epicenter of Christianity, all the way through into the regions. I can't wait to get into the travels of Paul and how God used Paul in order to get into all these different regions, into Asia and all the rest. Look at verse 26, a specific direction. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south of the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. In parentheses, I don't know how your translation has it, but it says this is a desert road. It's kind of like if you don't know what the road is, and if you don't really understand the region or the territory, understand this. It is a desert road. (laughs) You, you, You think that Luke kind of put that in there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose? I, I believe so. It's a desert road. It's arid. It's dry. It's deserted. There's nothing there. One translation even has it. It's a deserted city. There's nothing there. Catch that. Don't miss that. And then the first phrase of verse 27, so he got up and went. What's he leaving? What's he leaving? In Samaria, what was happening? 
If you go back just a few verses, you find out even Simon the Sorcerer believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and was baptized. People were getting saved. Healings were taking place. Demons were being cast out of people. All kinds of wonderful spiritual things, godly things, kingdom events were taking place. And Philip was in the center of it. It was Philip that was called to go to Samaria. He was the point person. He's the first one that has left Jerusalem and Judea in order to go to the Samaria region. And an angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, get up and go south on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it's a desert road. And he gets up and he goes. Man. Folks, is there some application in that for us? Are we listening to the Lord? Do we even discern when God is speaking through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God any longer? How do we measure when God tells us to do something? Is it based on numbers? Is that it? Because Philip clearly didn't do that. Philip just said, yes, Lord. And he went on the road and he didn't know why, and there was nothing there. Understand, Samaria is north of Jerusalem. He had to travel to Jerusalem. He had to travel south of Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and then he had to travel southwest all the way towards the coast. Understand that this road led into the desert. Nothing there. But he got up, and he goes. Has the Lord ever called you to do something that you didn't understand that made no sense to you until after you took the step of faith in obedience to the Lord and you began to walk in what it is that God had called you to and then all of a sudden it was being revealed to you and you go, oh, 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 Lord, I'm so glad I followed you. Thank you for saving me from myself and my own thinking. Because when the Lord calls us to things many, many, many times, to us, mentally, we can't figure it out. And there's all kinds of excuses that we come up with as to why that really can't be the reason or what God is calling us to. That, that just isn't it. You, you can hear it, right? Philip saying, hey, Lord, look at all the things that you're doing right here. Look at all the people. I'm needed here. I'm the point person. I'm the leader. I'm the reason this is all happening, Lord. I know it's you, but you're using me. So why shouldn't I stay here? How many times do we get caught up in trying to figure God out instead of just dying to self and saying, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Whatever you want to do, whyever you want to do it, whenever you want to do it, for your glory and your honor and me in the process of it doesn't even matter. I'm just thankful to be a part of whatever you want to do. I remember I was playing baseball and I was riding a motorcycle. I don't know why my dad let me do that. He had had a couple accidents and it was a fun summer. And praise God for angels, right? They protected me. There was a couple times I look back on now and I go, oh, thank you, Lord. Because I just, <laughs> stupid on the motorcycle, you know? 
But I was driving home one day. I, I was a catcher, and so I was kind of tired, and I, I had played a game. And uh, I, I took my Bible with me. Now, this was a special Bible. Some of you have NIV Bibles, right? This was a first edition NIV Bible. I'm dating myself. And it was not the kind that had columns in it. I liked it because it was a book. It, it read. You know, it was like the whole page was all the way across. You didn't go down, and then it seemed to take twice as long to read a page because you had to read the page all over again. It was just straight on through. I mean, I liked that. I don't know. I liked to read, and that was kind of liked it. It was leather-bound. It was gold leaf. It was beautiful Bible. Okay? Got done the baseball game, going home in Pennsylvania, I don't know how to explain this. I'm not going to build theology on it. If you do, please don't. But I was praying. I had gotten saved not uh, really long before that. And I was praying. And all of a sudden, and I don't, again, know how to explain this. And I'm not going to build theology on it. But I had in my mind a picture of what was going to happen over the next few minutes. I was going to drive up over a hill... I was going to start going down the hill. I was going to see a homeless man thumbing a ride. I was going to sense that the Spirit of the Lord wanted me to talk to this guy and stop and meet this guy and have him get on the bike with me or get in my car, whatever, and that I was supposed to give him my Bible. As I'm doing this, I came up the top of a hill. I came down the bottom of a hill, I saw the hitchhiker, thumb out, and I went zooming past him. And about a mile down the road, it was kind of like the Holy Spirit took a two-by-four and slapped me over the head. And I went, what? Did I, did I see that? Lord, what? Is that you? You wanted me to do that? And I'm thinking, well, evidently, moron, he let you know what was going to happen ahead of time. Go turn around, get back, and go get that guy. So I, I exited off, and I thought, man, this is strange. I don't know this guy. Is it safe? You know, you go through all this stuff. So I went back and picked the guy up. He was kind of shocked because he had seen me zooming past him. Picked him up, started to talk with him, started to share Christ with him. And then it was like the Bible moment. Because this was my Bible. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Have you ever done that? It's like you, you, you want to give it, but inside you're going, oh. So I gave it to him. He looked at me, put it in his bag. I took him where he needed to go. I've never seen him since. What, 25 years ago, something like that? I still pray for him. I have no idea what God did in that guy's life. See, sometimes the Lord calls us to do stuff, and we, we A, it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. And B, we, we, this, this story, he got to see the fruit. Sometimes we don't even get to see the fruit. Sometimes we don't even get to see the end. The, the issue really is, are we following the Lord? Are we walking with him? Are we listening to him? Are we in the word of God? Are our minds being renewed? Do we even hear when the spirit uses the word of God to direct our lives? Are we even plugged in? That's the issue. Well, clearly a special connection is made. There was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this is probably 80 to 100 miles later. 
we find that he's a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Wow. <laughs> he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He couldn't have children. He was a eunuch in the service of the queen. By the way, Candace is probably a title. There were other Ethiopian queens named Candace. But clearly, this guy was prominent within the court, within the nation of Ethiopia. He was an official in charge of the queen's treasury. He was, he was very much connected. He had come to worship in Jerusalem, but if you go and read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, because he's a eunuch, he was not allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Amazing. Wasn't even allowed into the assembly of the Lord. He had come all this way, traveled all this way to worship the Lord. He had heard, as Solomon had prayed years before, he had heard of the name of God. And he had heard that in Jerusalem there's a temple where God has made his presence known. And he had come in order to worship, but he wasn't even allowed to worship because he was a eunuch. He was clearly educated. He was reading. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The irony here, I think, in some ways, is that the Sanhedrin, who had just murdered Stephen, refused to listen to the prophets. Obviously, Isaiah included. Whereas this man, a foreigner, was spending time in the Word, desiring to understand what the prophet had written. Isn't that ironic? Stephen's telling them, you, you refuse to listen to the prophets. You've done just as our forefathers have done, and you killed the ones who spoke about the coming of the Messiah. You're just like them. And they turned around and did exactly what they had seen role model to them over the centuries, and they killed Stephen as well. Here's a guy who's an Ethiopian. He's a foreigner. He's a Gentile. He's not even allowed to come into the assembly of God because he's a eunuch, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. I can't imagine, we're not told this, so a little bit of holy speculation here, but I can't imagine that this guy had not read Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56. Look at that. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. Clearly, we know the passage he's struggling with, which is about Christ. And Philip began to teach him about Jesus with regard to the passage that the Ethiopian asks him specifically about. But I can't imagine that he hasn't read Isaiah chapter 56, verses 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Now listen to this. Nor let the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. And a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Can you imagine this Ethiopian reading this? Having just been to Jerusalem and not even being able to go into the assembly. Clearly there's a lot of questions here for this guy. What does this mean? How does this take place? How am I allowed to get into the assembly of God? How is it that the Lord's going to provide for me a memorial, an everlasting name? How does that take place? Fascinating. 
Verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, go up and join this chariot. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny. It's, called, it's kind of like the Lord's had him coming all this way. An angel of the Lord comes uh, to Philip, tells him to go south on this particular road, which is a desert road. And now he sees this Ethiopian, and it's probably not a chariot, folks. I don't think you can read very well uh, the scroll of Isaiah riding along on a chariot, right? It's probably a carriage, and we know that because Philip goes up to it, and, and he says, come on up and get in. I mean, this guy's traveling in luxury for the day. (laughs) He's reading this. I think Philip immediately recognized, oh, that's why the Lord has me here. Go up, join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and says to him, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian responds, well, how could I unless someone guides me? Pretty natural response, don't you think? There's a lot of people that read the Gospels. There are a lot of people that read the Epistles. There are a lot of people that read the Old Testament, and they need to be guided. Folks, don't ever take the power of the Word out of evangelism. God's Word is God's Word. God will use His Word in order to draw people to Himself. How can I understand this unless someone guides me and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him? Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? Clearly about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the sacrifice the Lord made. For us, the Lamb of God, he was silent before his accusers, he was put on the cross. I can't imagine that having been to Jerusalem, that the Ethiopian hadn't heard some of these things, that he was wondering about these things. Remember, Pentecost had taken place. Many people had already uh, come to know Christ and had been saved. They had received the Holy Spirit. There was a persecution that was beginning to spread, which was why Philip was in Samaria in the first place. Clearly, he would have known some of these things. Now he's on his way back to Ethiopia and he's got a lot of questions and the Lord goes and meets with him in the desert through the word of God, through his servant, Philip. The eunuch answered Philip and said, tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? I think it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that the Lord is at work within this man. For him to even be asking the question about the passage shows he wasn't just reading, but he was reading with the intent of wanting to understand. Have you ever ever read something you really don't care about it? Now, come on, you do that all the time. I do it all the time, too. Terms of condition. Check this box if you have read all of it. Yeah. We got it. (laughs) We read stuff, but we really don't do it necessarily with understanding. Sometimes we just go through it because we're supposed to. This guy's reading with understanding. He has a desire to know. He wants to learn. He wants to have this explained to him. I wonder what he thought of when he saw Philip coming up to the carriage. Who in the world's this guy? And when Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? 
There must have been something within him that caught his attention for him to actually invite this guy off a wayward road where there is absolutely nothing. Who knows what Philip smelled like? Who knows what he looked like? We don't know. But I don't think they had shower stops along the road. Come on up here. Tell me about this. God is clearly at work in his life. I I think with evangelism, this is absolutely essential to understand. We've built whole systems around the idea that somehow God has to have us as a part. We raise money, we put guilt on people, we tell them you better go do this and that and the other thing, and some of it's true because we do have biblical mandates here, but we leave the part out of it that we need to carefully be cultivating a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so that we're listening to him as to what he wants us to do and the timing that he wants us to do it in. Somehow I think we've lost the idea that God is at work all around us and really doesn't need us. The fact of the matter, I look at my own life, I look at a lot of different things, and I think we tend to get in the way more than we help. But God's patient, praise the Lord. I think one of the things to understand about received ministry is that God's already at work. He's already at work. He's already at work in this Ethiopian. Philip had no clue what he was being called to. He didn't have anything to do with this guy reading the prophet Isaiah. But God connected it. God brought them together. I think the question is not, what do we got to go do for God? Although that's certainly something we pray. The question ultimately, first and foremost, is, Lord, are our hearts right before you so that we're willing to listen to what you have to say? Are we even hearing from God in the first place? Or have we so drowned him out with activity and guilt and all the other things that we tend to do that we're not even listening anymore? We say we are. But are we? God is at work all around us. That neighbor that lives next to you, that individual within your home that maybe doesn't know Christ, that friend at school, whatever, you paint the picture at work, wherever it is, guess what? We believe that God is at work in their hearts. That's a done deal. You can guarantee that. The question is, Lord, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? Are we being cultivated in our relationship with the Lord so that we're listening carefully to what he has to say? So when he says to move, even when it doesn't make sense, we're saying, yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. This is a journey, Lord. This is exciting, Lord. Let's see what you're going to do, Lord. (laughs) God is at work all around us in ways we have no idea about. I would also say the word of God is central to evangelism. It's central. Somehow we've taken the word of God right out. We've even taken the language of the word of God right out because we don't want to offend. Indescribable to me. The word of God is the word of God. What right do we have to eliminate it from the conversation for unbelievers where that's the only hope they've got? We need to make sure we are people of the word so that our lives are reflecting what God is doing within us. And we need the word of God to be flowing through everything that we do, everything that we say. Because the word of God is the hope for unbelievers. The gospel message, we know it because it's from the word of God. And when we have the word of, amen, praise the Lord. 
when people who don't know the Lord are told things like, we don't want to offend you. Folks, I get the offense issues, but if the word of God offends, that's a different thing. We need the word of God because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God is what cuts through. People need to hear the word of God. I think it's also clear the Holy Spirit orchestrated this entire connection. Would anybody refute that? Did Philip have a planning meeting up in Samaria to figure out how to get the gospel into Ethiopia? Ethiopia wasn't even on Philip's mind. And yet the Lord said, I want you to get on a road and go south. Sometimes the Lord shifts gears on us really, really fast. And he does it because he demands faith. He wants us to learn to follow him, to walk with him. Day by day, step by step, moment by moment. I think you could summarize it this way. Philip was simply available. He was obedient. And he was prepared. Available in the sense of attitude. He was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Obedient, starting with his heart first and foremost. And then revealed through his actions. And clearly he was prepared. How do we know he was prepared? Because he begins to share the gospel with this individual. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Beginning from this scripture, the Lamb of God, slain, (laughs) and he preaches Jesus to him. All evangelism should include the preaching, the proclamation, the proclaiming of Jesus. Are we available. When the Lord speaks, we're listening, we're hearing, God's cultivating a personal relationship with us. We're growing in depth in the understanding of what's of God and what's not. And then we're obedient, starting with the heart first. The activity of obedience starts with the heart first. The activity actually is a result of a heart decision. Does that follow? And then we're prepared. We're ready to give an account for the hope that is within us. We know the word of God. We're able to start right where that person is at. Philip evidently didn't say, oh, let me, let me take you to my favorite passage in Deuteronomy. Philip started with right where he was at and began to proclaim Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water. <laughs> It must have been kind of a funny moment. I don't know. It strikes me as funny. There's nothing on this desert road. It's out in the desert. You think the timing of this is significant? I think so. Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being identified as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's ultimately what baptism is. Verse 37 is probably not in the Word of God. It should be in italics, or there should be brackets around it in your Bible. It may be that some scribe years ago after this was written said, hmm, we've got to make sure people understand that it's not the baptism that saves the person, but rather it's their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever. The point is, is it's true, right? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. What was Philip preaching to him? Jesus, right? The, the, the eunuch obviously responds affirmatively. I want to be baptized. What is it? What's some of the content? Well, from what we've seen already in Acts, undoubtedly Philip was talking about the coming of the Messiah. He was talking about the prophets, starting with Isaiah as well as the entire Old Testament. He, he was probably talking about the, the whole birth of the nation of Israel and the Abrahamic covenant and why God had done all these things. Where had the Ethiopian just come from? The temple. You, you think, look, look at Stephen's presentation. Stephen had sat under the teaching of the apostles. Philip undoubtedly had sat under the teaching of the apostles. The temple was a main issue. It's a picture of the need for salvation by the blood of the Lamb, which fits the Isaiah 53 passage he's in. It fits the picture of the entire purpose of the temple in the first place. Undoubtedly, Philip begins to preach Jesus to this individual using all of these different aspects. He clearly is sharing Christ with him and that salvation is not by works, but it is by grace through faith alone. Asks to be baptized. I I think it's clear. It's an immediate expression of obedience to the Lord signifying his salvation. Whether verse 37 is a part of it or not, it's clear that baptism is something that was a result of a heart condition. It's an external picture of what God had already done inside of him. He wanted to show. He wanted to be identified with on the external because of a decision that he had made internally. Verse 39 says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. (laughs) Where does joy come from? You get the questioning at the very beginning. How can I know? What, what, what is this passage talking about? To now rejoicing. To rejoicing. Bewilderment to joy. Beautiful picture. When the Lord comes into our lives, the Lord is joy. He doesn't just give joy. He is joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit, if you want to think of it that way, one of the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, is joy. It's a condition that God himself begins to create in and through our lives. But Philip found himself at Azotus. Did you catch this? Philip found himself at Azotus. If you look at a map, it's probably about 20 miles towards the coast. Now he's on the coast. Philip's coming up out of the water one minute, and the next minute he's in Azotus. Wouldn't that be fun? I mean, really, wouldn't that be fun? I don't know. Someday when we get glorified bodies, you know, the Lord did this. He was on the road to Emmaus, and the next thing he is, he's, he's back in Jerusalem. I think that's going to be cool. I can't wait. I'm going to do it as fast as I can all over the world. Right? Just Switzerland, here I come. I'm going to visit there for a little while. Then I'm going to run back to Alaska because I love mountains and, you know, wherever. Come visit you. Hello. How you doing? Great. Good. Gone. It's great. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that looks. Philip doesn't even seem shocked by it. What does he do? He keeps on preaching. <laughs> I love it. I mean, one minute he's with the Ethiopian Uganda. And by the way, can we just say, 
What's the language here? Went down into the, I know we're Baptists, so we've got to say this. He went down into the water. I don't think you can fit into a cup. He came back up out of the water. Right? Baptism means to be immersed. Clearly, they went into a body of water in order for him to be immersed. That's why we do what we do. And he came back up out of the water. The language is pretty clear there, right? But the next thing Philip knows, he is in a totally different place. Doesn't seem to catch him by surprise. It says he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. He just worked his way up the coast, back up to Caesarea. And what was he doing all along? Preaching the gospel. Folks, not all of us are called to be evangelists. But all of us have a testimony. All of us are called to be witnesses. All of us have a story. And the question is, are we available? Are we obedient? Are we prepared? Are we sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And are we willing to die to self immediately saying yes to him? Are we obedient from the heart and ready to step out in faith and follow him no matter what it looks like, no matter why we think? Obviously, it's got to be in accordance with the word. But when the Lord uses the word of God through the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, even when it doesn't seem to make sense, we say, yes, Lord, and we're obedient. And are we prepared? Are we ready to meet somebody right where they're at and preach Jesus to them, proclaim Christ, share with them the hope that we have because of what Christ has done for our lives? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.